it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 77. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about a stock selling theory, three strikes and you're out. Andrew has some thoughts on selling a stock and he wanted to share them with you. So we're going to go ahead and start us off. Andrew, why don't you tell us your ideas? Should I really? Does anybody want to hear them? I think they do. Okay. I will. Um, I got this cool email today. Uh, I wanted to share it because it's inspiring. Uh, email from Renee says, I just got into investing maybe 10 days ago and I already listened to around 10 podcasts. Keep up the good work. So those are the kind of things that I love to hear. It fires me up. A 10 day brand new investor that might be, that might break our record as far as recorded record of being public. I don't know if, if somebody's beaten that. That's pretty cool. It is. So keep those coming. Uh, that fires me up to get me recording on an episode like today. But you know, we want to talk about selling. Uh, we talked previously in episode sixty-five. Uh, if you go back and listen to the archives, I talked about how my approach evolved uh, a bit when I went back. I looked back at the history of some of the buys and sells I made through the e-leather portfolio. And I I used to break up the portfolio into two portions. I had the regular portion and the dividend fortress portion. I still have those two sections kind of uh, segregated off, but I had trailing stops on the regular portion and in episode 65, I talked about why I no longer use trailing stops. The kind of uh, cliff notes on that was I found that because the way I pick stocks is very, very conservative, very, very much so margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. A lot of these companies with um, strong balance sheets, maybe not explosive growth that leads the market, but kind of just plugs along slowly but surely and quietly creating profits and dividends that grow over time and trading at prices that make them not popular right so already by that by that uh kind of definition they're not going to have momentum at least to start and so what i found uh looking back at, at some of the stock picks i had i had several where if i would have not you know, if I would have not applied the trailing stop, if I would have let the stock run, then I would have actually had much higher performance. And, and that was a pretty consistent trend I noticed through several years of data. So uh, coming up on, oh, I just hit the four-year anniversary for the e-letter. So it was you know about three and a half years of data when I looked at that. So I kind of wanted to look at that again um I was listening to uh a podcast and kind of got me thinking about 
you know, what are, what are some of the reasons why a stock, why you might want to sell a stock, particularly if, if you're trying to lock in a profit, I've written on the blog before how I don't, uh, believe in, in, in locking in profits just for the sake of locking in profits. I think it's an interesting discussion. And I think, I mean, what's cool about investing just in general, uh, when you talk about the buy and the sell side, there's, there's no like set hard or fast rules that will guarantee success, but I think it's a good idea to have them. But like within those hard and fast rules, I think there's a lot of flexibility uh, and that's going to be at each individual investor's discretion. So like, for example, um, a hard and fast rule that I might have personally is I won't buy a stock at a PE above like a 50. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculously overpriced. Uh, I'll generally look for a stock that's trading at a PE below 25. But, you know, if a stock's scoring great on all metrics except for PE and the PE is like a 26 or a 27, I'm not going to necessarily exclude it. That's going to be a judgment call. So while you have like hard and fast rules on the buy and you have kind of your your boundary lines that will just never be crossed and these conditions that you'll never buy on, like, for example, um, also ne- never buy on negative earnings. I will never buy a stock that's not paying a dividend. Those are hard and fast rules. And so I have those and that gives me good clarity. And all, like you set those up and, and you've won 80, 90% of the battle. You've, you, you're, you're taking the most extreme parts of the market. Some of the stuff that we know that's just inherent with, with the behavior of the stock market and if we can adjust to those and set up our system so that it's automatically kind of filtering away from the worst parts of the market, then then we're the rest of it uh, becomes fun because then we can kind of make these judgment calls, but but they won't affect our performance as greatly and as intensely as these hard and fast rules you set at the beginning. So another example is dollar cost averaging, diversifying, right? All those things come together. They make sure you're continually invested. You're investing for the long term. You're spreading your risk. And so, again, uh, less of an emphasis on the actual stocks you pick and more about the system you set in place. One last thing. So when I talk about the behavior of the market, right, it's obviously very, very emotional. And it's too bad that that's not talked about a lot. I was listening to that Howard Marks episode that you were talking about last week dave um first off like anybody who sounds like warren buffett like he literally sounds like warren buffett's brother just his voice that's gonna that's gonna hook anybody like right then and there and then he's obviously like a best-selling author too uh value investor at his core uh wrote that great book and has another one that just came out but he was talking about the the way that the market is very emotional it's it's made up of people and people are emotional and and there's so many different kind of fallouts from that and so many ways that can kind of appear i mean you have people who are doing this for a living people who are doing this because they want to get rich quick you got people who are actually doing this the right way um building a retirement you have people who they can uh, go through divorce and, and they could have to sell half their assets right off the bat. You got people who could go crazy. They could go off the deep end. They could get uh, gambling addiction. And then you have all the other components of the financial industry, uh, the way it's structured, the way there's conflicts of interest. We talked about that a lot in episode four or six. Um, so all these different forces that, that make the market emotional. And so you know, one way... I mean, if you think about the market, it's up or down, green, green or red. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe it's, it has different emotions, but, but the two major ones are going to be fear and greed. And so if we know that that's part of the market, no matter what, and you see it evident all the time when, when, when uh, a stock will just take off, right? It, it tends to happen with an individual stock or the market as a whole will, will see a correction and it can happen very fast. Uh, we just saw a, a couple of days in a row now where, where it was uh, a, a very big drop, like a cliff. 
And so you see these things, it, it shows how emotional the market is. And if we can structure things so that we are actively kind of mitigating that risk or actively working against it, it it's just very big picture ideas and, and it can really set us up for success really, really nicely. So in the case of a market that's very, very greedy, if you keep you limit your stocks to stocks that are not caught up in the greed, you're not going to be buying uh, closer to, to, to where a stock goes at a much higher price and, and you're paying a much higher price than, than what the company is really worth because there's a lot of greed and, and momentum and a lot of optimism around it. Uh, well, yeah, so you limit some of that upside, but you limit a lot of the downside when those things inevitably come crashing down. And so by having a strict rule like, okay, definitely above this PE, I'm not going to buy. Well, now now your systems is automatically uh, taking into account that there are emotions in the market, there are components in the market, and we are planning for them. So all to say, uh, when it comes to selling, I have my own, like, these are my hard and fast rules. These are the lines that can't be crossed. Uh, and I believe that's important to have just as it's important to have on the buy. Unfortunately, the sell side isn't talked about hardly enough. Um, and and just like when we talked last week, how we kind of broke down. It wasn't last week. I guess it was two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. We did like a Q&A and we, and we broke down like a specific individual stock and kind of talked about some of the implications, uh, some of the events that happened around the stock and, and what some of those implications were, how it affects our analysis, and kind of use that as a, a basis point kind of example of how you might look at a stock and how you might process the data and, and kind of try to make sense of it. And uh, if you listen to that, you would kind of conclude that, wow, um, there's a lot to this, right? Um we might have some some good rules that, that keep us on the right path, but you can really get into the weeds on this. And it's very, very true for selling as well. And so I think this isn't the this isn't the first time we've talked about what to do when you sell stock. It's not the last. And the way I kind of wanted to talk about this was because I called it a theory. I think it's something we should approach this with an open mind. Let's um like come up with a hypothesis is that I'm not a science guy in the sense that I don't do, <laughs> I don't have a lab coat and uh, I don't, and then go for a PhD in science. But I don't know if you make a hypothesis to test a theory or what, how that kind of works. But let's do that today. And then also kind of wrap up with how, you know, what, what are some, if we have a lot of the buying principles that we always talk about, margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Buy stocks, trading at a discount to an intrinsic value, make sure you're diversifying, buying for the long term, thinking like a business owner and you're buying a piece of a business and not just some ticker, all those sorts of things. So we we can come up with a couple of those on the sell side too when you're trying to sell a stock. And I think I've brushed on it before, but I haven't gone this in depth. So I think this will be kind of helpful. Going All right, so let's... Let's. I guess let's go. Let's go there then. So, tell me about your hypothesis. All right. So, I kind of mentioned how uh, the trailing stop originally its its focus is to try to limit your downside, right? Like you're exposing yourself to the upside and then limiting the downside. And what downside is is a stock where. If you really think about, it, I mean, it can happen where you're in the stock market, a stock just gets hated for one reason or the other, and the stock price goes down. Uh, but those tend to kind of recover over time. That's where a lot of the opportunity comes from value investing. When you think about the other reason the stock might go down in price is because actually the business is failing; it's going in the wrong direction, and instead of growing, it's it's shrinking. And you know, business opportunities aren't there either. They're not able to compete, or their industry is just not as profitable as it used to be. Those are the types of situations you want to try to avoid. A trailing stop will naturally kind of take care of those situations because Wall Street's smart enough to know uh, generally when when a when a business is about to fail. Uh, and so, depending on where you set your trailing stop, you'll be out of the stock before it goes bankrupt. 
but like I said, I had the research that showed that uh, with a low risk kind of strategy, uh, the trailing stop doesn't work as much. Um, kind of comes down to in order for a trailing stop strategy to work, you're you're going to sell out of stocks a lot more than you should, and so you need high flyers that are going to create high gains that kind of mitigate the effect of, of, of all these small losses you took from the trailing stop. One of the podcasters that I like to listen to, and I talked about on my daily email the other day, how um, I really respected, you know, uh, Stansberry digest and the stuff they put out. I really like the Stansberry investor hour and the episodes that they produce. And in the latest episode, Porter, he's the the founder of the show. He talked about how he did research with all of his newsletter recommendations back over a decade and found, uh, because he has multiple newsletter writers writing for his company and and he writes one as well. And he found that the, the higher the volatility and the higher the risk, he kind of equated volatility and risk, uh, for this study, don't get bogged down in, in, in that, but just basically the higher the volatility of, of the portfolio, the better the performance with trailing stops. And for portfolios that were more quote unquote conservative that had lower volatility, the trailing stops actually kind of hurt more than they helped. And so, you know, what I found in episode 65 and how that was applicable to me uh, was kind of confirmed by that. And it makes a lot of sense too when you think about it. You're you're going to be doing a value strategy. You're not going to see as much growth as like a growth stock, so you won't have as many of those stocks that kind of pop. And 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 so if you don't have those in your portfolio, then you you can't afford to have a bunch of little losses from a trailing stop. Like what would happen in, in a situation like that? So you know you limit your losses kind of all around, and you, you grow slowly and surely rather than depending on one or two growth stocks to kind of take off. So that's kind of the uh, background behind it. Now I was kind of trying to think, okay, if if the downside is is a is a business that is failing, right? Not necessarily failing, but a business that maybe is headed in the wrong direction, right? You, you can look at a chart and say, well, you know, the chart momentum is downwards, so this kind of reflects a failing business. But that's more after the fact. You know, it's so easy to look in the rearview mirror and say, aha, that's what was happening. Can we try to find, from a fundamental analysis point of view, from looking at the financials, can we find a way to kind of identify these these symptoms of a failing business? We talked about this a little bit in the failing business episode, but you know, as it relates to specifically like making a sell strategy based on that, can we do that? Can we make specified rules and say, if this happens with the financials, then we do this. That's what I wanted to find out. And so that's what I did. So I kind of went back again to some of the stocks that were stopped out by my trailing stop. I wanted to go back and see, okay, uh, what did those financials look like? And was there like, maybe it was a short-term trend, right? That shows that the business is no longer as profitable. It kind of makes sense logically, right? If they have less revenues, that means either they have less demand or, or less, you know, less demand for their products or less capacity to be able to produce as many products as they could. That could come in revenue. Maybe they had to drop prices because there's more competitors. That can come into drop revenue. Uh, obviously, drop revenue tends to also you'll tend to see earnings drop from that profits. Right? If you if you don't have as much money coming in, how can you make as many profits? And obviously, with book value, shareholders' equity, um, the amount of assets that you're able to buy and own. That's the idea. And so I, I thought, okay. Let's try this. Here's the hypothesis. Three strikes and you're out, right? If, if you know, because a company could go from one year to another, there's no company that's going to be able to go up in a straight line forever. Maybe you could say Coca-Cola did, but I mean, how many stocks are going to be able to do that? It's not much. So you want to give room for error for these companies to be able to understand that, 
the way economics of an industry work can be cyclical, it can be up and down. These things can fluctuate. And just because a business has a bad year or even like a mediocre year doesn't mean long term it's going to be bad. So I thought, okay, what if we said three strikes, you're out, uh, essentially three years of declining revenues and or declining earnings would mean that this is a stock we should sell. And it would be one of those hard and fast rules where you say, nope, I don't care what's happening. We see this, we sell, right? So I went back. I wanted to, <laughs> you're not going to like this, Dave, um, because this is a stock that you've t- praised about in the past and I have as well. But this was a stock, GameStop, that I stopped out of. Uh, so I bought it in January of 2017. I stopped out in August 2017. And it's actually one of those, one of the few trades that, was good that I stopped out because it continued dropping. So in that since that year, I guess more than a year has passed, it's uh down 21.81% more than it was down and I sold at like a 25% trailing trailing stop. So sorry. <laughs> One stock that, you know, we saw value and I don't know, are you still holding it hoping for the recovery? I am yes. Just is I didn't put a lot of money into it, so at this point now it's just kind of an experiment to see what would happen. I'll just say like uh, if I still had it, I would definitely sell it. Especially, I mean, not sell. I'm sorry. <laughs> if I still had it, I would definitely hold it. Uh, and and you'll see why what I mean <laughs> at the very end. But um, at least until it keeps, you know, at least until it tells me that okay, we can't make a profit anymore. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yep. Anyway, um, so I wanted to test this thing, right? Uh, Are we able to see three years of declining revenues, declining earnings, and then... If that's the case and it gives us a good sell point, then we then we can exit out and then essentially use a trailing stop, but only focus it on companies that are in a in a bad direction financially rather than in a bad direction in the stock market. So I looked at GameStop 
and I found one year of declining revenue, one year of declining profit, two years of declining profits, one year before I sold it. So nothing really there. I went to another one. So here's another good example was uh, an insurance company. Now let's talk about this one, Foot Locker. Uh, in the three years since I sold it, it's it's down an extra 7%. That's terrible, uh, especially considering you compare it to the rest of the bull market. In three years, you don't want to lose 7%. I did the same type of test and I actually saw that in the financials leading up to when I sell when I sold it, the revenues were going up, the earnings was going up. So that doesn't help us either, right? We can't we can't say that my trailing stop if I wasn't in the trailing stop, I probably would have continued to hold. And uh earnings after two years finally went down. Um Essentially, what I'm trying to say is it was like inconclusive. One more, uh, Cincinnati Insurance, uh, CINF, I don't have the full name in front of me, uh, been down 3% since the three years when I sold it. And this was uh, a very similar case where the last financial report before I sold showed like actually increasing revenues, increasing earnings. And then you had a little bit of a drop off but uh, things actually went back up afterwards. So <clears throat> the trailing stop will tend to, uh, you know, the market tends to kind of be ahead of a lot of these stocks. And so since they're all up on the quarterly reports and, and they're all up with projections and, and the future and all these sorts of things, um, a lot of times you'll see the movement in the stock price before you actually see it hit the annual report, which is why some of these got stopped out. And then after I got stopped out, that's why if you were to look at those financials, you would have seen it kind of do like a little drop and then go back up. So you kind of see um, the market anticipating like a drop in earnings or a drop in revenue. This this is pretty common, I've found in my experience. The market will uh, anticipate a drop in earnings and a drop in revenue. Then they'll sell out. Then you'll see the financials and you'll see that drop. And then from there, it's kind of like, uh, either you, as a value investor, you're you're coming in and you're hoping for that recovery, or you're holding on, and and then it's almost like a fifty fifty chance of it going up or down from there. Kind of what I've noticed. So based on kind of looking at some of some of the the previous stock buys and holds I had <clears throat> and sells, I didn't see anything there. So I thought the next the next thing would be, all right, well, that was a very small selection that my little sphere of the universe. So let's expand that out and let's try to look at the worst case because it, it helps to look at the extremes, particularly if you're looking at a company that is failing, right? The work. A company where the business is just so bad that it goes bankrupt. So I went back to the value trap indicator stuff I have. Uh, what's nice about the spreadsheet package is that I have um, thirty of the bankruptcy, thirty of the companies that went bankrupt, and I had inputted their financials into their own individual spreadsheets. So I'm a, I was able to pull this up really, really quickly uh, and just glance at their financials, all thirty of them. And, and you won't see that anywhere else because I'm. A, I imagine in time, even um, they might re- remove those. Excuse me, they might remove those annual reports from the SEC just because they figure why why keep them up there? Uh, these companies are bankrupt; nobody's investing in them, anyways. But I was able to just glance through because I had those thirty spreadsheets, and I was able to look. Okay, let's let's take this three strikes and you're out test, and let's take it to these companies. Let's see, you know, a company that completely goes bust completely fails was it what was it a trend that we were able to identify and and prepare for and it's like almost an inevitable thing right so i went through again there's 30 bankruptcies and uh, a couple i found notable blockbuster had five years in a row of earnings just going down 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 and revenue going down 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 borders was the same way five years continuously going down. Um, a lot of these would have several years of negative earnings. So 
Borders AMR, ACC had three years in a row of negative earnings. So you had plenty of time. Point being, you had plenty of time to get out of those stocks before they went bankrupt. Um, one I found interesting, Silicon Graphics, nine years in a row of negative earnings. And uh, revenue was down, up and down you know, from year to year, but it went from really high 10 years ago to really low by the time it went bankrupt. Another company... Uh, Spansian, seven years in a row of negative earnings. So <clears throat> you had a long time for these companies to be losing money, and I'm surprised a lot of them lasted this long. But I went through, you know, let's try three strikes and you're out. How many of these companies would qualify for that? And so if they said, if they showed us three strikes and you're out, we were able to get out of those stocks before they went bankrupt, then it would be generally a good indicator of, of when we should sell because a, a business is a bad investment on the downside. I found out of those 30 companies, only nine of them had earnings that were, that went down three years in a row consecutively, consecutively like that. And only four out of the 30 went down on revenue. So you're looking at 33% and less than half of that for the revenue part. So basically trick or treat, right? Uh, we have this hypothesis, this theory. It sounds like a great idea. It makes sense. You would think that that um, a company would show these signs and kind of gradually decline, and and that would give us a good indicator of when to get out of a stock. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case, and we don't have. I don't have anything that's statistically um, relevant enough in order to make that a good rule, but. Uh, However, on the bright side, there are different hard and fast rules that make it very, very obvious when it's time to get out of a stock because the business is in trouble. And I'll share those. And 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 these are actually new, not not new, but like uh, a different take on the same data that I've had that really kind of is encouraging because it shows like just how obvious these things are. So the picture is we would kind of think like in the blockbuster case or a business kind of just slowly bleeds to death, but actually what based on the value chart indicator data and, and the research I've done with that, a lot of these things can actually happen very, very fast, very, very quickly. And so if you're not out at, at the time of these big red flags, then you might be in trouble. So going back to that same group of 30, uh, instead of how many gave us this three strikes and you're out kind of um, warning, how many of them had negative earnings in the year before bankruptcy? So instead of just being nine, there were 24 companies. So 80% of the companies had negative earnings before bankruptcy. That's an easy kind of red flag check for us. Second, second one is negative shareholders equity, negative book value. That's basically where um, a company has more liabilities in their assets. And so if you ask, like, how is that even possible? How are they going to pay their expenses when they don't even have enough assets to cover it? Well, again, you're absolutely right, because that is the case uh, most of the time. If they don't have understated assets, that's it's a different conversation. But um, it, it is it can be a good a good red flag indicator. Nine of those companies, so 30% 30, 30 of those had negative shareholders equity. Uh, but when you combine that with debt to equity, so another 43% of those had a debt to equity above 2.22, essentially two and a quarter. And so if you look, so we have the earning side. If you look at the balance sheet side, if we look at how many of these companies were either negative shareholders equity, means they had like a negative net worth or they had so much debt that their shareholders equity was so low that again uh just like in the case of the negative net worth the negative shareholders equity they don't have as many assets to cover all the liabilities they have so a company uh the number of companies that had either negative shareholders equity or debt to equity above a 2.22 was 73% and then if you combine those two, so that's 22 out of 30 companies. That's, that's quite a lot. If you combine those two kind of metrics, so you have the earnings. The earnings shows us that the company is not profitable. The, the 
shareholders equity shows us the balance sheet picture. What's what's the assets look like? What what kind of liabilities does a company have? Now, if you combine those two, so either the company had negative earnings or it had the debt to equity dilemma, it was 28 out of 30 of those companies had one or the other. So a full 93%. What's the takeaway here? I think the takeaway is if we have something that's so common in all of these bankruptcies, over 90% of them had uh, an issue either in the income statement or in the balance sheet, then it makes sense to have both of those as hard kind of stop red flags, lines in the sand that we don't want crossed. Uh, and it will it will help us stay away from a lot of these really failing businesses. I think the the three strikes idea is is, is a nice idea in theory, um, but it kind of goes to show how you, you need to take ideas, you need to take theories, and then you need to back it up with history and with research and see what what's actually happened with the stock market and what kind of behaviors will we tend to see. What we can see from something like this with the value chart indicator research and, and me kind of taking it a step further with this episode today is that you will have failing uh, a failing business show certain things in the financials and it will show up either in the income statement or the balance sheet or sometimes even both. So if we can avoid both of those, we might lose some good opportunities, but we will mitigate a lot of the risks that these companies are just blatantly obviously showing us that these are signals <laughs> that the company is very, very close to bankruptcy, if not very at risk. And so, yeah, uh, a company could pull through, but why take the chance? I think something like this that has such a statistical significance that over 90% of the companies will display one of those, I think it makes a good argument for being a reason why we should use it as like a, a hard selling rule. And so that's something I'm um, definitely implementing into my portfolio. <clears throat> Most definitely with the um, the dividend fortresses and the regular positions. And then kind of going off from there, uh, the rest of it becomes a judgment call. My, my dividend fortresses uh, are, are, are going to be held longer and not have as stringent rules as, as like the regular positions. They're going to have more leeway on those judgment calls. Um, but you know, I need to have a, a downside protector for my regular positions too. And, and having something like these two rules where I'm not gonna, you know, if the, the income statement shows me this or the balance sheet shows me that I'm not going to buy, or I'm not going to continue to hold, I'm going to sell it. Gives me clarity, gives me a plan, gives me protection against the downside, and something you can do too. So, I mean, you have something like today, right? Where uh, we're recording this October 11th, and I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago when this all started going down, but um, basically everybody's freaking out. The SP, I know the Dow lost like 3%. Definitely at least 3%, if not 4% yesterday. Today, it was down another couple percentage points. The S&P is down a lot. Uh, and if you look at any sort of price chart on the markets, you just see the price going down. Uh, causes a lot of panic. And if you don't have a plan on when you're going to get out, your panic just multiplies. And so you contrast that with somebody like... <laughs> Not to like um, pat my own back, but contrast it to somebody like me, where I know uh, where a failing business kind of what that looks like, and so I know when to panic and when not to, and so I can look at a correction like we saw. We're almost like in the middle of right now, and kind of not feel bad about my portfolio because I look at the individual stocks that are in there, and I have belief in them for the long run and in their health. And so by by having the, the downside all covered and in place, I'm able to be confident and continue to hold regardless of what the market does because I know that these businesses are likely to be fine. And I'm watching like a hawk. Every time those annual reports come out, I'm going to check and I'm going to make sure one of these hard and fast rules isn't being broken. And I can kind of maybe play with, you know, depending on, how my turnover, my portfolio turnover is going, like I've mentioned before, depending on some other things, if I see a better opportunity, 
those things can kind of be judgment calls, but the majority of the time, uh, with the majority of my positions, I have these rules in place, and that gives me clarity, that gives me peace of mind, and that helps me weather a storm like we've kind of seen the past several days. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. That was awesome. Uh, fascinating information. I, I, that was uh, really interesting. I, I appreciate you taking the time to to dive into all that and kind of figure that out because that was really kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, I guess a couple things that kind of popped into my head while, we, while you were talking about that that I wanted to maybe throw at you and see what your thoughts were. Number one is we've talked a lot about you know, buy, buying rules and, and we're talking about selling rules today. What are your thoughts about like codifying those in such a way that you have them written down so that you have, when you have moments like what happened the last few days in the market, that you can go back and look at those and it can kind of be a, a reassurance to you that if you own particular companies, that you see the price going down, but you know enough about the financials to know that, okay, these are not really in trouble. This is more of an is- is issue of the stock market is correcting what they may feel like is overvalued or overpriced. And would that help people not quote unquote freak out? And I guess the other thought I had about that is how does one, how does one go about making sure that their company is not one of the ones that's failing. A hundred percent. I think people should write it down. I think that would be very, very helpful. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned it. Cause I actually, I wrote that down on my spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet where I look at my whole portfolio. I have a bunch of notes like on the bottom and the side, but big caps, I've got my selling rules and those are written down that I can refer to them at any time. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that would be very helpful, especially for people that are just kind of starting out and beginning. I think having those things solidified in your head, you know, it's one thing to have them in your head, but like, you know, I think, you know, what you have is a great way to do it. And I know that I have those for me as well. When I look at my portfolio, I have my buy rules and my sell rules, you know, I have little tabs for both of them. So that if I ever do get like, you know, Hey, you know, what's going on. And then I can do some quick research to see, okay, well, this is not the, you know, so-and-so company is still doing great. You know, all the things that we're talking about today are not in play for this particular company. So I don't need to worry about this one. I don't need to worry about this one. And that's again, to kind of throw this out there as well, not having super huge portfolios also makes this easier. If you've got 122 stocks and you got to go through all 122 to decide whether any of these are mitigating circumstances for your company, that's going to be a, that's going to be a lot of work. But if you're sitting in the 15, 20, 25, you know, total company portfolio, that is going to be a lot easier to manage in a circumstance like this. Yeah, I agree. Oh, how would how would somebody how would somebody go about finding out whether these companies are failing or not? What what are some signs that they go look for? Easily, oh, I guess. Yeah, I mean to answer the second part, um, what investors can look for very very easily if a stock has negative earnings, and, and you kind of agree with what I, you know, how I like to set up my hard and fast rules, and you want to follow. Um, simply if a stock has negative earnings, you sell it. If a stock has a debt to equity above a 2.22 and you calculate that by um, taking the total liabilities and you divide shareholders equity, that's how you get my version of debt to equity. That's above, you can just say two and a quarter and sell it. And then uh, if it's negative, if, if the shareholders equity is negative, then you sell it. So those would be the, I guess, the three strikes. Be, well, three strikes, except one strike and you're out <laughs> instead right, of yeah. three strikes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, that makes it easy. All right. Well, thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, you, what are your thoughts on the whole thing that, with everything we've seen the past couple of days? What are my thoughts? I don't know. So like my thoughts... Are, <laughs> What's that? Like, Girl? is there 
are, are, there, are there too many people uh, focusing in on what's going on and, and maybe not taking a big picture? I can, I yeah. can, I can show you on Twitter. We can, we can, <laughs> I can tag you in some, in some threads. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you Pretty can. And then it spirals into all the politics. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I can really go down a rabbit hole for sure. You know, I guess my thoughts are as somebody who doesn't watch the news a lot and there are various reasons for that. Sometimes when you miss things like this, like I didn't even know this was uh, truly, I did not even know this was going on until this morning. And so everything that happened yesterday just didn't even enter my universe. And it didn't really, it, it doesn't at this point rise to an occasion where I think I need to like, you know, run to my portfolio and check everything because a 7% drop in two days when the stock market is really kind of overheated to begin with is not that big of a deal. And I don't see any, I guess from an outsider's point of view, that's not really paying attention to all the minute details that are going on in the world. I don't see anything that's triggering a recession or a, you know, a huge correction in the market. I don't, you know, unless there's something else going on in the world that not everybody's talking about, I can't see anything that would cause this to trigger just out of the blue. I mean, we're not at the time of the year where you're going to see any annual reports. I know that maybe earnings season is coming. And so maybe there's been some reports of some things that, you know, are softer than they'd like to see, but I, I don't see anything large that would cause a huge correction and so i just feel like and i felt like this before with the uh great recession that we had in you know seven eight nine that oh some of it was fueled by the media and when you have people on tv and every talking head telling you that everything is negative everything's going bad you start to feel that and it's a it's a common human reaction to if everybody's telling you the sky is falling, you're going to think the sky is falling and you're going to react to that. And irregardless of whatever other information you have, it's just a natural reaction for us to, you know, react to that way because we want to go with the herd. You know, if everybody else is telling us that this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, then we got to think it's bad. And, I think, you know, as a value investor, as somebody that we look to try to be not contrarians on purpose, but just the nature of what we're trying to do is we're always looking for deals. We're looking for things going on sale. And a correction like this is generally something that we kind of want because that's when you can find, you know, a, a Google or a Facebook or a Microsoft or an Amazon or somebody, you know, some of these great companies, you can possibly find them on sale. And if everything else is going great with a company and the stock market has decided everything is bad and all the prices are going to drop, then, you know, that's when we get to have fun because now we can buy stuff cheaper. And that's basically what we're trying to do is buy stuff cheaper so that it'll rise and we'll make, you know, capital appreciation on that, not not including dividends. I mean, that's the whole purpose of what we're trying to do here. And, you know, what you were talking about with the selling rules is a huge part of what Warren Buffett talks about. You know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. You know, that's, that's what we're talking. If you don't lose money, that's the whole basis of your VTIs. If you don't lose money, you're going to make money. And what we're trying to do is look at rational ways of thinking about how to invest and reacting to a two day freak out. And like you said, in the Twitterverse, you know, everybody and their brothers, you know, quote unquote, freaking out because it's gone down for a couple of days and we've gotten so used to it, just always going up, always going up, always going up, always going up. And it's a confirmation bias. And now all of a sudden everything's going bad. Well, it's not really going bad. So I guess a long-winded version of what what do I think? Uh, you know, at this point, it feels like it's just an overreaction to something else. And 
is it something systemic? Is it something you know negative in the economy, negative in the world, negative? I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I agree. It's there's so many moving parts. It's not going to be even possible to to pin it down to one thing. And that's just what happens when markets get overheated. They they, they got to cool off eventually. Yes, they do. You can't you can't go up forever. It has to. It does have to go down to go back up. But we really want to, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? Did you want to end with that quote? I do. Okay. Sorry. All right. I, I guess you had it coming already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. One, two, three. All right. So something that I wanted to kind of finish up our conversation today. I thought this was really appropriate with our little conversation here at the end and everything that Andrew was talking about today. Uh, we've talked many times about Jim O'Shaughnessy and what big fans we are of him. Uh, he dropped some great wisdom the other day on Twitter, and I wanted to share it with you all. If you do not already follow him on Twitter, I definitely would recommend it. So he says, stop, look at your life. Look at all your yesterdays that had such great hopes for tomorrow. This is just another day. I've lived through so many market bubbles and crashes. Remember, what is your time frame? Is it tomorrow? Don't invest if it is. Snap your fingers, 20 years gone. I think that really says everything about what's happened over the last few days. Relax, look at your life, pay attention to what you're doing, understand why you're investing, you're investing for your retirement, and don't overreact. That says it all. So I guess without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and sign us off. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about uh, sell rules. I thought Andrew did fantastic information and great deep dive into his models of the 30 bankruptcies and all the information he shared with us. This is definitely something you guys should pay attention to and create your own rules on. And it'll help you save a lot of money through the years. So go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on safety. You guys have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.